Omagyanatiminandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksuru Militam Yena Tasmai Sri Uruveda Maha Vande Sri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitro Sandotamundo Vande Hamsi Ramakrishna Abhaya Chalanasako Sukhado Paramanando Sundaro Subalapriyo He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Ganta Radha Ganta Namostute Taptaganchana Gaurangi Radhe Vindavanishwari Prashadhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Aritriye Se Gorya Vashnav Guru Paramparaki Simad Bhagavadita ki jai, Ur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Premanande. So we're reading from chapter 4, Yam Yoga, from Bhagavad Gita. Krishna's been talking about his omniscience, the eternal nature of his form, the whereabouts and the why of his descent. And... Come to verse 9 tonight. He says, Janma karma chame dibyam evam yo veti tatvataha chakvadeham puna janma naiti mameti suarjuna. One who knows in truth the transcendental nature of my birth and my activities upon giving up this body does not take birth again, O Arjuna. So, janma karma tamedibhyam. Krishna is saying here that my janma, my birth, and my karma, my activities here, are divyam, and they're so divyam, or transcendental, that one who understands them as such doesn't take birth and becomes freed from karma. So, not only are they powerful in their own right, in that that they constitute a position above birth and death and above karma. Karma in a generic sense, of course, means action. So he's doing action, but his action is different. His action we call lila. There's a difference between lila and karma, although they look the same. What's the difference? The difference is, is that karma is motivated by selfish desire, and lila is motivated by what? Because if you don't have any selfish desire, then, as Shankar would say, if you don't have any desire, why move? Movement in the realm of karma is out of a sense of incompleteness. As a result of identifying with the body, we feel incomplete. So we move. We we have to preserve the body. Our sense of self, derived from identification with the body, is... uh, under a threat of non-existence, so we struggle to maintain it. And of course, the more we try to do that, the more we become implicated. It's like quicksand. The more you move, the more you go down. So what's the solution? Tarzan. You need to, you need to Tarzan. <laughs> Swoop in and uh, say, don't move. Hold on to this rope and I'll pull you out. So, so those movements, the movements of Tarzan, that's another kind of movement. And... Um, that's a compassionate kind of movement in relation to us. So that's 
that kind of compassion comes out of a, a fulfillment, not out of a lack. Hmm? So while Shankar would reason, does reason well that if, if you're happy, if you're full, if you have no desire, no want, then why move? We would say yes, but if you're truly full, then there's another kind of movement, not a movement out of, out of uh, need or out of, out of a lacking, but out of a necessity to express the fullness in celebration, just like, wow, like, jai. And so the fullness of the Absolute comes to the point of Krishna, where Brahman then becomes a dancer, as we've said before. And so this is Leela. It's a movement out of completeness. The, the more full we are, the more static, in a sense, or full, the more that will ultimately foster another kind of movement. Like I've said before, where the nature of love is such that we can't rest until we find it. And when we find it, then it has a movement of its own, that it has an orbit of its own that we become part of. So in the context of our search for truth, and so we can't rest until we find truth. And truth and knowledge, real knowledge, and this verse says that, and we'll get to that, is bhakti. And so when we arrive at that, we have a pause for a moment, I found it, but then we find there's so much to do in the context of bhakti also. Like I said, that knowledge has an agenda of its own. It's alive and more alive than we are in our material sense of of being animate. So what is the movement of that realm compared to the movement of this world, which we are enamored by and we are fascinated by to one extent or implicated and we're involved in? Yeah, we said the other day about the newspapers. Or, you know, somebody criticized Bhakti Siddhanta. How can you present a, a newspaper about God every day? So we could do it every minute, but there's not enough customers. You've got newspapers in every major city about this world and the activities of this world. So what is the nature of the movement of that realm? Jiva Goswami said a nice thing when, when Lord Brahma prayed that describing Goloka, he says, and all the walk is dancing and the talk is song. Jiva Goswami says, what must be the, the dancing there and what must be the song there? <laughs> so to give us some idea, we are inanimate in, in all of our movement in comparison to the movement there. We are more more like matter here only. Our movements are likened to prakriti priyamanani gunai karmani sarvasa. Ahankara vimugatma karta Just the movements of the material nature practically. We've turned ourselves over to the material nature and it's moving. We're the life of the soul. We can determine that the life has, the soul has some life and some movement because it's animating the matter, but free from the constraints of matter, what will be its life then? Its talk will be song, its walk will be dancing. So such is the nature of Leela. It's a movement out of fullness. And one of the forms in which that fullness manifests in a real practical way to us is out of the compassion, for example, of the descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the different uh, Krishna's avatara here, is crossing over, or his, the sadhus who represent him and so forth, coming in, swinging like a Tarzan into our life, so to speak. Those are different movements. Daivim prakritim ashrita, as we've heard. They move the Mahatma, great soul, under the daivim prakritim, under the influence of Swarup Shakti. Their, their movements may seem similar, but the motivation and the, the, the jurisdiction under which they fall is different altogether. 
Therefore, it said, Vaishnavera Kriyamudra Vignanapujai. It's difficult to understand the Vaishnava. He, he or she may act like, in many respects, an ordinary person. Just like, to give a simple example, Prabhupada would, was in, intent on printing books. He was a sadhu living in Vrindavan. He would try to raise some money to go to Delhi to pay for the printing of his Back to Godhead magazine. So, all kinds of people are printing books. Hmm? So, but what's the motive behind his printing? What's the nature of the book and so forth? So he was propelled by another, another kind of motive, another kind of energy. Daivim prakritam. That's Krishna's swarup shakti. And that governs the movement of Leela. So, so the devotees come under that. They enter into, in effect, the Gore Leela, which is an ongoing, unfolding affair, in a sense. <clears throat> so this action, then, karma is used here in a generic sense of action. It, it, it means his Leela, actually. Mm-hmm. Because it's action that is what? Dibyam. And his birth that is Dibyam. He's already explained to us what? That his birth... My birth is under the jurisdiction of my Sarup Shakti. So it's not, it appears like a birth. It's a kind of a birth, but it's not like the birth of ordinary people. So similarly now the activities, the jhana and the karma. So the divyam means he's talking about Leela here. And he says that and it's not such an easy thing to do, but one who understands it in truth, veti tattvata chakvade hampunarjanmanaiti. As I said, not only are they inherently powerful and transcendental, extraordinary, his activities and his birth, but they are so powerful that if you understand them, you will become free from birth and death in your activities. You'll become freed from karma, and you will have divine activities. So, worth paying some attention to, he says here. And it's not hard to do, in a sense, to hear about Krishna and Krishna Leela, and from proper sources by which we will gain an understanding of them. That's an easy form of, if you will, spiritual practice. But it takes some time, nonetheless, to be accomplished. When we say that bhakti is easy, we mean easy in comparison to other means of arriving at the transcendental understanding, ego-effacing means, whether it be nishkam karma yoga, jnana yoga, ashtanga yoga, and so forth. There, this is easy by comparison. It, it's easy because it, as has been explained in the previous chapter, by nature we're, we're, we're active, we move, so if we can, and we're going to move according to the demands of our senses, if we can use our senses and that proclivity, that nature of ours to move according to the demand to the sense in relation to things that are of a spiritual nature, then that's very easy compared to stop thinking or you know, stop using your senses and so forth. We were just dancing, we were chanting, we were seeing the beautiful forms of the Lord, we were hearing the beautiful past, and this all requires the use of our senses. So it's user-friendly in that way. So it's easy by comparison, I think you can make a very, very strong case for that. Even the non-moving, as they're sometimes called, living entity, stabber, like trees, they can benefit from the chanting. Who else can practice? They can't practice the stanga yoga, they can't practice nishkam karma yoga or jnana yoga, but they can 
participate in bhakti. So very generous on the one end and very high, very far-reaching in its effect on the other side. And so a simple thing here is suggested. To know the activities of Krishna's birth, uh, the nature of Krishna's birth and activities in truth. But to know in truth, then, what does that mean? He says, evam yo veti tattvata, veti tattvata. Viti means vid, vid vidya. Vid comes from the root vid. Vid means to know, to have knowledge. And it, it speaks to us about a kind of a... Vidya is often used as practical knowledge. Like Durga is said to be... Uh, give the vidya of so many magical arts by which you can accomplish things. So knowledge by which things can be accomplished. Practical knowledge. It's not speaking as much about abstract knowledge. So in this context... It means bhakti. We can find, for example, the word vidya, which comes from the same root vid, that this word veti comes from here. In the ninth chapter of the Gita, where Krishna says what? Rajavidya. He says, the ninth chapter, this, I'm going to speak to you about the king of knowledge. And, and what is the subject in that chapter? It's bhakti, bhakti, bhakti. In the end of the chapter, he said, the concluding words are, the first words are, I'm going to give you the highest, the king of knowledge, the king of secrets. Pabitramutam, the most pure and highly spiritual dharma, dharmasya, rajavidya, rajaguyam, pabitramitam, utamam, pratyakshavagamam, dharmam, susukam, kartamavayam, so forth. If you study very carefully, you see there he's talking about bhakti the way he uses those words. And in the end, of course, the last verses, this is the knowledge he's given. Get, become my devotee. That's knowledge. <laughs> it's uh, absorb your mind in me, become my... Absorb your mind in me, become my devotee. Do... Yagya, sacrifice for me. Namaskuru, offer pranam to me. This is, this is the end of all knowledge. So to, to know him is to love him. That's the idea. Loving him is, is knowing him. So he's really speaking about bhakti. He says, to know me in truth, that's possible by bhakti. Again, this is the chapter of Jnana Yoga. So knowledge is being given, but we find the whole introduction is all Sambandha Jnana. Knowledge of the of how things are related, not the knowledge of how all things are only one thing, but how all things are one in that they are all related to one another. Everything in relation to Bhagwan. So Veti Tattvata, Veti Tattvata. This Veti Tattvata comes in Chaitanya Charitamrita also in a nice place. Kibabi Pratibanyasi Sudrakene Nai Ye Krishna Tattva Veta Se Guru Hoi. Tattva-veta, same thing. Veti tattva Mahaprabhu is speaking about Roy Ramananda. Roy Ramananda was a member of the administration of Pratapurudra Maharaj, stationed in the south. And he was, by all appearances, uh, very worldly. Sarvabhoma, Pattacharya, could not understand him. But when he understood Mahaprabhu, he said... There's a fellow in the south you should talk to on your way down there. He, he, you and he have something in common, actually. But Mahaprabhu was a Brahmin and a sannyasi, 
and Ramananda Roy was from a Sudra Varna. So according to the socio-religious system, these castes would interact with a certain governing principles. They would interact, but there would be rules for the interaction. And and so when Mahaprabhu met Ramananda Roy and embraced him and he and cried and Ramananda Roy became ecstatic and the followers of Ramananda Roy, the, the assistants of him, he was a sudra but he had an administrative post. It's a certain type of sudra varna. You know, these varnas have been divided a thousandfold. And so he was being like carried on a palanquin and he had his assistants, he was going for bathing and, and he would and he had like his what would you call them, like aides, you know, like the senator has his what the congressman has his aides. So they were all with him and then here comes this and there's this sannyasi bathing in the river and they see one another and they have this exchange. It's very extraordinary. They're thinking, What is this? A Brahman sannyasi embracing the Sudra government man? who represents worldliness, mm-hmm. and he's a sannyasi who represents otherworldliness or world, you know, renouncing. They couldn't quite figure it out. And meanwhile, Mahabhu then met with him for several days, and they discussed. And when this is what Mahabhu said, one of the conclusions of their talks, very high talks there, he said, it doesn't matter whether one is a Bipra, a Brahman, a Sannyasi, a Sudra, or whatever, in terms of material classification under the modes of nature, what their psychological and physiological makeup are that would govern that they conduct themselves in one way or another, such that they might attain emancipation from material existence, whatever their position in that. Ye Krishna Tattva Say guru. If they know about Krishna in truth, he said, I accept him as my guru. So this is one of the gurus of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is Mahaprabhu. This is his Ragmarg guru. He learned Ragmarg from Ramananda Roy. And Ramananda Roy was, of course, has been um, identified as Vishaka Gopi. Vishaka was born on the same day as Radha. So Mahaprabhu learned from her in the form of Ramananda Roy everything he needed to know about Radha Dasyam, about the service of Radha. Vishakadevi is one of, is a competent gopi, competent enough to be a group leader, Yuteshpuri, have her own manjaris, mm-hmm. like Chandravali and so forth. But she, and her and Lalita Saki both, they, instead of doing that, out of affection for Radha, although they're qualified to be group leaders, they place themselves under the, under the, in, in the service of Radha. So he learned from her, from Ramananda, about what he came to try to figure out, the nature of Radha's love and so forth. Of course, Ramananda is also identified with Arjun. So, it's appropriate here to reflect on what was said to Ramananda Roy in uh, in, in the south, when Mahaprabhu traveled there, the most significant probably event that uh, in his tour of South India is the meeting of Roy Ramananda. There, in terms of Roy Ramananda's representing Arjun, Mahaprabhu checked him, tested him how well he had understood Bhagavad Gita, 
which was spoken previously, where Krishna is the speaker and Arjuna is the questioner. And in the Gaur-lila, Mahaprabhu becomes the questioner and Ramananda Roy becomes, gives the answers. Hmm? So he was testing Arjuna. How well did you understand Bhagavad Gita? What are the furthest reaches of my speech there to you? They go all the way to Radha Dasyam, the Brajapakti and Radha Dasyam. And of course, it's our sect, our charges that bring that out from Bhagavad Gita. So Veti Tattvata, that's not such a, it's an easy thing, Bhakti, comparatively, but it's not so easy to arrive at Veti Tattvata. That qualifies one for being a guru. Say Guru Hai, that person can be, if he knows, she knows Krishna in truth. There's a nice statement in Gopal Tapani, Upanishad. Gopi Janavidya Kala Prerakaha. Preraka means like master. So Krishna is about Krishna, the Gopal Tapani. So Krishna is the master of the Gopi Jana, who are Kala Vidya, who are a Kala, a portion of a particular kind of Vidya, knowledge. It means that, that their love for Krishna is a particular kind of knowledge. And if we study carefully, we see that is the be-all and end-all of knowledge. They know Krishna in truth. To come to this, to come to Brajabhakti and Gopi Bhava, this is the farthest reach within that. This is to really know Krishna in truth. Such a person is qualified then, Mahaprabhu said, to be Guru. Ramananda Roy has explained that. So it's a a high idea, and this is only then the partial result of it that's mentioned here, Taktava Deham Janma. And now this is one of the places in the Gita, one of the many places, Mamu Petrakon Deha Punarjanma Navidyate, Yadgatvana Nivartam Teta Dham Paramamama. That statement comes in 15th chapter. That comes again, I think, uh, in uh, maybe twice in a 15th chapter. Going to my abode, one never returns. He says, Abrahma Bhuvanaloka in the eighth chapter. From the planet of Brahma on down, Abrahma Bhuvanaloka Punar, what is it? Punar Janmanavidyate. Going up to the planet of Brahma, people go and return up and down, up and down, but going to my abode, one does not take birth again. So here it says, Chakva Deham Punarjanma. That person who's a bhakta, who's a devotee, and becomes mature in their devotion and understands me in truth. That means on any level, but we we we're speaking the highest idea of what it means to know him in truth. As Radha knows Krishna, this is the highest ideal. This is what the gopi the, the Gaudi of Vaishnavas like to Praise the flag for. This is knowing him in truth. We argue on that level, theistically, to know him as Narayan is not to know him fully in truth and so forth. But those are fun arguments amongst friends, <laughs> so to speak. But otherwise, below that, you know, the whole we're all we're all in agreement. To know Christian truth, this is this is really the end of birth and death. Once and for all. So again, this is another place where what? Where it's mentioned in the Gita, where there are several, four, five, six, half a dozen that say that if you go to Krishna, you don't come back. This is a confusion in the Gaudiya community that's fairly um, widespread. There are some 
who think that you can fall from Goloka or Vaikuntha, from that place that you will again take birth. Here Krishna again says, no, that's not possible. And uh, we should hope so, otherwise why is driving to go there? <laughs> if it is a pure place, then there is no opportunity for for uh, returning to impurity. Some will say, well, you have the free will. But the point of bhakti is you have exercised your free will, and you've exercised it in relation to the perfect object of love, and so you become fully satisfied. If you exercise your free will in, in relation to something that's not, and, and you give yourself, in other words, mm-hmm. to something that can't give back, in such a way as to satisfy you, then you're going to give it up. Look elsewhere. Look elsewhere. When that doesn't work, you might try that thing again, you know, and go back and forth. And this is material life. Chewing the chewed. Like when we were kids in school a long time ago. You'd chew the gum for a while, and then if the teacher saw you were chewing, you'd stick it underneath the table, underneath the desk. And then when he wasn't looking, he'd take it back. Chew it again, or you'd chew it till you get tired of it, and then, and then try it again, and so forth. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so chewing the chewed, you know, we buy a new house and somebody else is selling it. They can't wait to get out of it. You can't wait to get into it. It's, and you'll pass through their phase also, and there'll be another person, so on. So, when we point being that when we give of ourselves, our will, we're a unit of will. So when we give ourselves to that which cannot reciprocate in proportion, in kind, then we'll give it up. But if we can find that object upon which reposing ourself, our capacity to love and to give, that has the capacity to give back not only in proportion, but Krishna gives a challenge. It's coming in this chapter. Uh, as much as you can reciprocate, as much as you can give yourself to me, I can give back. Many times over. Hmm? Of course, the gopis met him on that challenge, and he was defeated. <laughs> that is the, that's the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? He said, I cannot give back anymore. You got me. I'm yours. Do what you want with me. And by the way, what kind of love do you have that's done this to me, that it's exhausted my, my supply? I have to find it. And he's a thief and a clever fellow, so he found his way in disguise to go and find it and taste that love and so forth. We're back to Raman and the Roy. But point is here that if we give ourselves, we're a unit of giving capacity in that place where we can get proportionately, we don't say that say that giving is not about getting, but there is reciprocal, love is reciprocal dealings, so that's why the giving is the getting, because there is reciprocation. And of course, in, in love, we've got so much reciprocation that we're not, we're, we've given some, we're not looking for it. But anyway, the point is, then there's no return. There, the self is fulfilled. So it is expressed its will, and it continues to express its will, the, the jiva, in relation to the perfect object of love. So it's perfectly fulfilled in terms of its loving capacity or its giving capacity. So there's no question of returning. And, and, and Krishna, of course, even if the soul wanted to leave, 
loves the soul, so wouldn't let him leave. And there are many, many statements like this in the scripture and in commentaries from the charyas and so on and so forth. There's no leaving from that place. There's no return from there. People will say sometimes, well, the verses say that once you go there, you don't come back. So you could have been there before and then come back and then you go. But that's not what the verses are saying. All these verses like the most famous probably of these, Krishna's directly speaking in this verse about his abode and not in comparison to the temporal nature of other attainments, which he does in other places in the Gita, but the very quality of the place. He says, that that place is not in need of illumination. It's self-illuminated. It doesn't need a sun. It doesn't need a moon like we need here to light up the, the day and the night. Not tadbhasha It doesn't need, proper translated, that very kind of contemporary electricity. It means like fire. There's no need for sun, for moon, for fire, for electricity. It's, uh, it means it's fully luminous and light. Luminous, luminosity is... Uh, a way in the texts repeatedly of speaking about knowledge. It's bhakti, and bhakti is the highest knowledge, so it's it's self-luminous. There's no there's no ignorance there. He's saying there's it's completely it's it's the abode of complete perfect knowledge that bhakti is the rajvidya, and so he says. Going there, one never returns. The verse is speaking about the nature of that place. So to think, well, he's only saying here that if you go there, you don't return, but you could have been there first and then come here. You're missing the whole idea, what the verse is talking about. It's really not talking about, that's like a side effect, that you go there and, and you never return kind of the nature of the place he's talking about. It's, it's perfection. So, of course, who are the people that fall from there in that theory then? This is important to discuss this because we should know that what the scriptures actually say. Who are the people, who, who would fall from there? There's three kinds of souls. There's nityasiddhas, sadhanasiddhas, kripasiddha. Kripasiddha means who become perfect by kripa, by mercy. Sadhanasiddha who become perfect by spiritual practice. And Nityasiddha, who is eternally perfect, who, who doesn't uh, experience imperfection. So, if the, if somebody has been there first and then fallen, then which one, which kind is he? Well, he can't be a Nityasiddha because they're never fallen. He can't be a Sadhanasiddha because he's the one that's been here and gone back. So, if you want to interpret it like, well, the ones who go back never fall, then it can't be the Sadhanasiddha, it can't be the Kripasiddha. Who's left? The Nitya Siddha, and the very definition of the Nitya Siddha is that they're eternally liberated. So there's no question of falling from there. There's no possibility. So what is the position then? The position is that it's very clear. Where do the jivas from this world come from? It's, of course, we're using language. They're eternal, they have no origin, but where do they come from? Now, let's, let's, let's see. Let's ask Blake. Blake's a new man here. So he probably has less scriptural knowledge and so forth. Let's see if you can figure this out for a second. Where does, I'll give you a hint. Where does the world come from? 
How does the, how is the world manifest according to the scripture? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the world comes. That's pretty. So you're a new man. You know that, right? The world comes from Mahavishnu. It's compared to his breathing out, his dream. Universes emanate out with his out breath and with his in breath it comes in. So the bhutva bhutva praliyate, the world's expanding like Hoyle's expanding universe, and then it contracts and expands and contracts and so forth. So, okay, so, and this is all the, the work of Mahavishnu. Now that's called Shristi Lila, the Lila of creation. Ekubahusham, the one becomes many. That's part of it. So the world comes out. What, what's the world made of? What's the world constituted of? There's two things. Uh, the soul. And? And uh, property. Right. Matter. So there's consciousness and there's matter. So if the world comes from Mahavishnu, that means the matter is emanating from him, and the world as we know it, and the souls that make it work. So... Here is a new man, he's non-initiated. He knows, if he stop and think about it, that, oh, well, it's very, it must be very obvious if a new person knows that souls of this world that come from Mount Vishnu. So it's pretty interesting because this, it, the scripture just is full of that statement. Over, he comes in the Gita a number of times, and the Bhagavatam, and the Upanishads, over and over and over again. Souls come from Mount Vishnu. So what does it mean? Who's Mahavishnu? Mahavishnu is a manifestation of the Mahasankarshan, who presides over Vaikuntha. Mahasankarshan is a manifestation of Baladev in, in Goloka, who presides over the Sandini Shakti. Sandini Shakti means the existential Shakti. So Baladev expands the Dham. And in his partial manifestation of Sankarshan, so he expands Goloka, and as Mahasankarshan, he expands Vaikuntha. Of course, this is an eternal present. It's not that like one time it wasn't there, another time it is. With the material world, then the manifestation of the Mahasankarshan is Mahavishnu. And so he's, he has jurisdiction over, the, over this Dham, this realm, this existential uh, experience, the material world. And so, as we know from scripture, Baladev manifests eternally souls, Nityasiddhas, for the Leela of Krishna and Mahasankarshan for the Leela of the Lord in Vaikuntha. So Mahavishnu manifests a certain type of soul for the Leela of Shrishti, of creation. And when the world manifests and has no beginning because the world is coming and going, coming and going in eternal cycles with no, with no beginning. That's why it's compared to Vishnu's breath because if it has a beginning, then it means at one point Vishnu wasn't breathing. And if you're not breathing, you're not alive. So, so it's always been going on. It's a little hard to you know, fit between the ears, but that's the teaching. And so karma is called anadi. It has no, no beginning. And there's a certain type of soul that manifests from Vishnu in relation to his presiding over the world. The one Vishnu wants to become many out of joy. He becomes many, but the many are small. And in relation to the realm of his jurisdiction, it becomes problematic for them. So he, what does he do? He avatars. Mm-hmm. He descends into the world, and he manifests the Veda and so forth. And then he gives those souls the chance to to to, to choose. And this is always there. So there are always sadhakas in this world, choosing the right thing. Other people, 
maybe the next life they'll become the next cycle they'll become a sadhaka and choose and so forth so so that is called the that is the fourth kind of soul then right we had the three types of siddhas nitya siddha sadhana siddha kripa siddha and nitya badha he's nitya and he's badha conditioned it means he's been conditioned since a time without beginning but it doesn't mean his conditioning can't end it can karma is something that can end if we stop perpetuating. How we stop perpetuating that sinking, if you will, in the quicksand, that's the Tarzan. That's the Avatara. That's the, the Lord's represented the sadhus. They come and they, they pick us up from there. And they teach us Veti Tattvata, Krishna Veti Tattvata. They teach us the truth about Krishna. They teach us about Bhakti. How to know him by loving him. They give us enough knowledge to know he's lovable. He's worthy of taking shelter of. It's in my interest, so I shall do that. And as I do that, then love comes, naturally. And this is well-informed love, well-reasoned love. Not the poorly reasoned love of that's a, only a semblance of love in this world. So, Janmakarma chameda deham punar This is our destination here. This is where we're going. Land of no return. There's no return from there. Hmm. Any question? What's the time? Two minutes to eight. Karma is not eternal. No, of course not. Vila is eternal. Hmm? Vila is eternal. Vila is eternal. Karma is not eternal. Karma can end. And let, me give you, let me give you another example of this. Any aspect of karma can end, and no aspect of lila ends. In other words, you can have a karma in general will end, and within the context of a particular karma, in other words, an action that accrues a particular reaction, that will take its course and finish. And lila, by comparison, in contrast, is eternal in every aspect of it. Every every aspect of Krishna Leela is eternal. Krishna Leela is going on in some devotee's heart, some part of it, always. Somewhere. In Bhatsali Leela, in Sakya Rasa, Madhuri Rasa, and all. Every aspect, every Leela is eternal. And every segment, if you will, of karma. It has a beginning and end. So because if we look at the part, we can understand the whole. So the part of karma is has a, 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 you know, a time frame under which it will expire. So the whole of karma has that potential as well. Of course, it will perpetuate itself, but if we get good help, divine intervention, then... That is, therefore, we say sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha, sarva shastri koi, lavamatra sadhu sangha, sarva siddhi hoi. This means a fraction of a moment's association with the real devotee change the course of our life. So that happens to all of us. It changes. The, it, it may take time for it to fully manifest, but that's the point in our life that this journey, sojourn of material life, that this chasing the tail of karma, is the big. That's the beginning of the end. If you can understand that. How 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 big that is! That's what a what a big ending that is. The beginning, huge, small beginning to a 
that will culminate in the ending of a huge thing, this tail chasing anadi karma. My God, Brother Vishnu John Marsh used to say, the distance we have traversed thus far before meeting our Gurudev is far greater than the distance we have to go from here to Goloka. We should be we should be encouraged by that. One of my Gabbadas was sitting with Pujipat Sridhar Marsh, and he said, you know, Guru Marsh, I don't feel like I'm making any advancement. Sridhar Marsh said, not making any advancement. He said, you have come from aquatic, you know, to uh, reptile, you know, to tree, you know, to tree, you know, to plant left, to, to reptile, to beast. You have human life now. In human life, you have met your Gurudev, you know, Prabhupada. He was a disciple of Prabhupada. And you're not making any advancement. What? So he was you know, a whole different perspective on it. You know, I'm, it looked to me like you're doing pretty good here. You know? <laughs> and the distance you have to go is very short in comparison. A few lives, you know, maybe. Maybe this life. Hmm? Sometimes we say, you will not go in this life, you may not. In one life, you will not go back to Godhead. But I like to say, in one life you will go. You understand? So I'm going to say, in one life you cannot go. But I say, in one life you will go. When that one life, when you think, this life I will go. A couple of lifetimes like that. <laughs> then you will go. First lifetime, and you will get bhava. And then next lifetime, then you're going to get brain. And then you have another lifetime in Krishna Leela. That's why I say about three lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a question? Morning, there's something about the duties of the Brajavasis. And that got, kind of got me thinking like, what's the nature of the duties in the Leela? Like is there, in the beginning of this talk today, you were saying that there's like an apparent similarity between karma and Leela. I was thinking, like, is there some... I don't know if you can even think about it like this, but I was just wondering if there's a similar kind of cause and effect that, like, the sons are your father or your child, for example, makes you have a duty that you have to take care of that child. That if you don't, there's a consequence. Or is it more like a drama in that sense that it all just augments the deal with Krishna? But if there's a duty that's not connected to Krishna, is that something that you have to take care of in the Lila? They're all connected to Krishna. There's nothing unconnected to Krishna. Mm-hmm. They have duties means cowherds have to take care of the cows. Cows need to be fed. Mm-hmm. They need to be let out to pasture. The crops have to be, you know, harvested mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And Mother Yashoda has her duties. She has to take care of her son. And so they have duties relative to their relationship with Krishna and their position in the Lila. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that's not in relation to Krishna. They have their their primary emotion is for love of Krishna. They have love for one another. That's called a sanchari bhav. The stai bhav is for Krishna. Uh, that's the dominant emotion. I love Krishna as a friend, for example. He said. And then that friend will love another friend. So what is the nature of that love for another friend? Or for his brother or sister in the Leela or his mother and father? Those are called sanchari bhav. So those are a kind of bhava that is augments their stahibhav. So they love one another in relation to loving Krishna. That's why it all works. Because everybody loves Krishna. 
more than anybody else. <laughs> so they all agree he's the most lovable. So there's nothing that's not in relation to Krishna there. Some direct, some indirect. Another question? Yeah. This is from Bhushanri from the previous class. She wanted to know why Krishna is considered the Yuga Avatar for Garbha Yuga when he came at the end of it. Yeah, I've written about that in the Sangha. So you can look that up on the archives. And uh, Jibhasami has commented um, about it as well. Refer to that, see if you can get a comprehensive answer. It'll take a little while to explain that. It's a particular Dwarpa Yuga also, where there's an overlapping of the Dwarpa and the Treta, and the Dwarpa comes after the Treta. And normally in Kali Yuga, then, this is a particular Kali Yuga, so normally in Kali Yuga, it's not Prajendananda and Krishna who comes, but this Prajendananda and Krishna is coming in Dwarpa Yuga, for a particular, in this particular Dwarpa Yuga, for a particular reason. He's coming to give Braj Bhakti. And of course, in the course of trying to give Braj Bhakti to people to showcase the Leela, he becomes overwhelmed by Radha's love and he gets off balance, so he couldn't quite teach it effectively. So he comes again in Kali Yuga as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to teach how to enter into the Leela. So it's a particular Kali Yuga, not every Kali Yuga like that, or Dwarpa Yuga like that. And they recall the yuga like that either. So they said in, in that Dwarpa yuga they're chanting, what is it? Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudeva Anirudaya uh, Sankarshanaya. The Chaturvyuha is being worshipped by temple worship and mantra. And then in the end, in this particular Dwarpa yuga, Krishna comes with a purpose of its own that exceeds the purpose, the general purpose of the Yuga Avatar. Krishna comes to give, showcase Prajapakti to the world. And in that, when that's followed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's Krishna himself again teaching how to enter there. So it's not every Dwarpa Yuga that Krishna comes and personally, Swami Bhagavan as the Yuga Avatar. But you can read about it there. Another question? Yeah. I just thought of a nice thing um, in regards to the falling from Vaikuntha thing. We were talking about it one time. Uh, falling from Vaikuntha? Yeah. yeah. Or falling from Goloka, I mean, I should say, actually. And it was a point where Niranya brought up how there's, because of course there's infinite souls in Golok. So if they were falling, it would be as if, you know, yeah, Golok is perfect thing. And it would be like as if it sprung a leaf and it was like a, Waterfall of infinite souls falling down. Like, what kind of place would that be? There's just no way. Uh, yeah. A waterfall of souls leaving Krishna at all times. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's irresistible. A friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, I met, and he was of this persuasion. <laughs> and some people in Iskon are, they have, they, there are different parties in there, but there's a number of them in Iskon and things like that. So, I said to him, I said, you know, I think that Iskon has its own planet in the spiritual world. And he said, yeah, I, that's how I feel too. 
He said, wow, Maharaj, I didn't know you had such affection for Iskon. You know, you've been out of it for years. I said, yeah, no, that's how I feel. So it's the only one where people fall from, though. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> Not everybody, but only some, some of them. They don't all believe it there. All right. Simad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Sisi Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Kaur Bhakti Bindu ki jai.